Welcome to the Unmuted Podcast from Los Angeles. I'm Jay Mariotti. LeBron James fans, you are not going to like this. In his biggest challenge as a social justice leader, James whiffed when he stormed out of a contentious players meeting last week and voted to cancel the NBA season, which required intervention from two real kings, Barack Obama and the true goat, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Colin Kaepernick, James is not. If social activism would be the imprint that distinguished him from his contemporaries, all James has done now is feed the critics who told him to shut up in dribble. I can't get past the image of James when his strength and empathy were needed most inside a ballroom of emotional players storming from that volatile meeting and vowing to burst the NBA bubble after he and his Lakers teammates had voted to end the NBA season. He was ready to quit, run from the pressure, not take that final shot, stomp out of the arena and rip apart his jersey as we have seen somewhere before, right? Only this wasn't quitting in a playoff game or quitting on Cleveland to take his talents to South Beach or quitting on Cleveland again to take his show business whims to Hollywood. This was the moment defining LeBron James as an American leader, how to maximize the collective voice of athletes incensed about another case of police brutality against a black man, and rather stunningly, his initial response was to shut down the leg and go home? After all, his kids missed him in L.A., and furthermore, his ex-Miami teammate, 40-year-old Udonis Haslam, was pushing a little too hard in demanding answers from James as the league's longtime face and power broker. Would a boycott of games extend through the rest of the postseason? Was it time to return to work? Did LeBron have a plan? Somehow, he did not have a plan. My mind began to uh, figure out what, what is the plan going forward. And if we don't have a plan, then what are we talking about? Why, why, why are we still here? Um, you know, and that, that's where my mind went to. And, um, you know, at one point there was no plan of, of, of going forward. There was no plan of action. And I'm not, I'm not a, me personally, um, I'm not that, that type of guy. I'm not a guy who, uh, one, doesn't have a plan and then is not ready to act on it as far as action, so. So, according to multiple reports, James got up from the large gathering of league players and coaches and said, we're out as every teammate but Dwight Howard followed, soon to be joined out the door by the other Los Angeles team, the Clippers. LeBron could have stayed inside that room all night long. Where did he have to go anyway? Locked in a bubble and hashed out the issues until a plan was formulated in that room. Instead, as if the scene was beneath him, he exited stage right, while 11 other teams were voting to continue the postseason which was not a good look for the king. This is the Pandemic Proof Podcast with Jay Mariotti, an actual journalist who covered the Bay Area earthquake long after a World Series was postponed and on 9-11 successfully demanded to keep hosting his national radio show when an advertising boss wanted to switch to network programming. Did you really think Jay ever would stick to sports during a global health crisis? Now, here's Jay Mariotti. Colin Kaepernick never quit, kneeling on a sideline until the NFL stopped paying him and the TV network stopped showing him. Martin Luther King Jr. never quit, stopped only by an assassin in Memphis, Tennessee. Quitting is an option no legitimate civil rights leader ever considers, yet LeBron James was doing just that as a petty megalomaniac, angry that he couldn't gain a consensus hours after the Milwaukee Bucks had launched the great sports boycott of 2020 and also frayed by James' often stated weariness of life inside the league's restrictive campus. Said teammate Danny Green, quote, he was at a place where he was fighting with his mind and fighting with his heart, unquote. But he was thinking with his ego. 
And when history records the story of these surreal times, it will remember how James nearly brought down the entire NBA and probably other leagues by extension of his clout before two esteemed elders bailed him out and rescued sports, at least until the next crisis. It surprises nobody that former President Barack Obama was one of them, taking a late-night call from James and the Players Association President, Chris Paul, after that contentious session, and, for starters, urging James not to go home. Rather, Obama reminded both of them that the bubble, confining and soul-sucking as it is, still allows players their best chance to make mass statements about racial inequality and that they really should work with the NBA instead of boycotting the entire postseason. The result? Though the league already is paying $300 million into a fund for the purpose, Commissioner Adam Silver is creating a social justice coalition, turning NBA arenas into election day polling sites, and asking ESPN and Turner Sports to help with expanded social justice awareness, such as public service announcements and more pregame coverage of players kneeling after those networks recently abandoned that part of the story. That's what the NFL's broadcast partners did post Kaepernick. Here was Chris Paul, who kept the peace in that ballroom while LeBron was saying, peace out. 15 years in this league, and I've never seen anything like it. Obviously, I wasn't the oldest one in the room. I think Udonis Haslam was. But the voices that were heard, uh, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And um, for a lot of us, you know, we had an opportunity to... um, you know, you get a chance to read and see pictures of the Cleveland, Cleveland Summit for those who came before us and the Muhammad Ali's and the Jim Brown's and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and how powerful they were. You know, we're not saying that we're that, but what we're doing right now in our league is huge. And I think for the young guys in our league to get a chance to see how guys are really coming together and speak and, and see real change, real action, because guys are tired. Like, I mean, tired. And I'm saying, when I say tired, we're not physically tired. We're just tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. Wrote Adam Silver in a letter to players in the NBA and the WNBA, whose teams also boycotted games last week, quote, I have heard from several of you directly, and I understand the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us are feeling in this moment. I wholeheartedly support NBA and WNBA players and their commitment to shining a light on important issues of social justice. I understand some of you feel the league should be doing more. I hear you, and please know that I am focused on ensuring that we as a league are affecting real change, both within our organization and in communities across the country, end quote, Silver. In a statement, Obama's office said, and I'm quoting, As an avid basketball fan, President Obama speaks on a regular basis with players and league officials. When asked, he was happy to provide advice to a small group of NBA players seeking to leverage their immense platforms for good after their brave and inspiring strike in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting. They discussed establishing a social justice committee to ensure that the players and league's actions this week led to sustained, meaningful engagement on criminal justice and police reform, end quote, Barack Obama's office. Uh, Obama, avid basketball fan, you kidding? A Mariotti aside, back in the Jordan years, I'd be there on press row, and you'd see everybody imaginable coming to Chicago, experiencing the Jordan dynasty, front row, you name it, they're there. But in particular, one night, somebody I knew in town said, Hey, see that guy standing over there? He's going to be a future big-time politician. And I said, hmm, hmm. And I had never heard of Barack Obama, but he was always there in the United Center. And then one particular night, I met Barack Obama. And still, again, didn't really know much about him because he was barely a player in Chicago. Then, a few years later, great story, Mike Ditka wants to run for Senate in the state of Illinois. And he would have won, obviously. He's Mike Ditka, the coach, right? I write a column in the Sun-Times. 
in which I suggest, hey, uh, you sure you want to do this? Maybe some skeletons out there. You've got to see a lot of people emerging out of the woodwork, ready to kill you. Not literally, although you never know in Illinois. Uh, you sure you want to do this? Days later, Ditka bows out. And who wins that election? Barack Obama. So if Ditka had not bowed out, would we ever have heard of Barack Obama? And obviously, he would not have become the president of the United States. A Mariotti aside, there you have it. Barack Obama becomes president, maybe partially because of moi. A Mariotti aside. People hate it when I tell that story. They think, boy, what a pompous SOB you are. No, I'm just telling you the timeline of how that worked out. And because Ditka, he probably would have pulled out anyway, my column appearing or otherwise. I'm just telling you to break this damn thing up. A Mariotti aside. Back to LeBron. So as Obama's office was saying this and Silver was saying this, LeBron was taking a Twitter shot at who else? President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. LeBron also reminded us about the wonderful public school he has created for at-risk children back in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. And when the season did resume over the weekend, the games he was willing to abandon because he didn't like the tone in that ballroom, James sidestepped his epic failure to lead. He even cracked wise about breaking ranks, saying this about the bubble. Numerous of nights and days that we think about leaving the bubble. I think everyone has, including you guys. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I don't think it's not one person that has not had a mind that says, oh, I got to get the hell out of here. Uh, but it's not because of what, what transpired. But yeah, yeah. It probably, it cost, it probably cost, cr cr crossed my mind probably once a day. <laughs> For sure. He could afford to laugh a little only after the intervention of Obama, probably the only person on the planet who could talk James out of leaving. I think he was headed back to L.A. Uh, President Obama is a, he's a great man. He's a great man, and uh, I wish he was still the President of the United States. How curious, at age 35, after taking relentless political stands on social media and going to war against Trump, that LeBron required not only the 44th president to calm the seas, but Michael Jordan. He was the second savior in this equation, the bridge between the owners and the players last week, and an effective one at that. As chairman of the league's Labor Relations Committee, Jordan used his position as Charlotte Hornets owner to urge other owners to simply let the players vent last week and understand their frustrations. This was no small feat, knowing that some owners in that league did not support the idea of painting Black Lives Matter prominently on those three bubble courts. But the owners did obey Jordan, and they listened. Everybody listens to Michael Jordan, especially after the Last Dance docuseries. Now he's God again. He's not only the goat, he's God, and everybody listens to Jordan. <laughs> Once upon a time, Michael never would have gotten involved in anything like this. Now he's front and center everywhere, finally. It's good to see. Then Jordan counseled the players on another call, advising them to stay united and making sure they finished what they've started at Disney World. Said Russell Westbrook, uh, he was huge in making sure that whatever we want to do together, we get it done, quote-unquote. Oh, the irony here. You know where this is going. Only last year, LeBron was calling himself, quote, the greatest player of all time, end quote, assuming that the Cavaliers' 2016 rally to beat Golden State finally had elevated him above Jordan in this age-old debate. And while never saying this, James figured he was a slam-dunk winner in any social awareness comparison, knowing Jordan had shied from political positions as a capitalist during his playing career and once said infamously, you know this, Republicans buy sneakers too, end quote. But... Here was Jordan in 2020, wisely rolling out quitting as an option for LeBron. The other day, Jordan's former teammate in Chicago, Craig Hodges, recalled how he was rejected 
by Jordan and Magic Johnson when Hodges suggested the Bulls and the Lakers boycott game one of the 1991 NBA Finals after the beating of Rodney King by L.A. police officers. Said Hodges to CBS Sports, I knew the answer before I went to them. What's funny to me is how quick they dismissed it. Both conversations lasted less than two minutes. Magic was coming on the court the day before the first game, and I asked him about it, and he tells me, it's too extreme. I'd already discussed it with Mike in the locker room, and he tells me, man, that's wild, man. So almost 30 years later, Jordan was urging LeBron to keep playing, but he did so from a more enlightened social platform. Remember Jordan back in May after George Floyd was choked to death, issuing his statement that he was deeply saddened and truly pained and plain angry? So LeBron, after the events of this last week, now Jordan seems to have passed LeBron in the area of social awareness, too. It remains doubtful whether this NBA season will finish. One more police shooting, God help us, and everybody goes home. As James should have anticipated, the Bucks were horrified by the Blake shooting just 40 miles down I-94 from Milwaukee. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time reigning league MVP, who has been rather silent about social subjects, uh, spoke out with his teammates and said how much he appreciated the chance to speak to Blake's father on the day of the boycott. Uh, Giannis added, this is bigger than basketball. We're going to remember the way we felt for the rest of our lives, end quote. On that, LeBron James could agree. You know, obviously, only time will tell, but, you know, hopefully um, the past couple of days is um, a change for the greater good in the future. And when you see change happening in the future, you can look back and say that was the moment when it happened. And, and that was a key moment uh, when it happened. You know, um, obviously the, the, the bubble season would never be forgotten when it comes to sports. It's the first time we've able, you know, been able to do something like this. But obviously, you know, this moment is so much bigger than us playing basketball. So um, hopefully um, the initiatives that we came together, that we partnered with, um, you know, the voting and the sites and, and the arenas and things of that nature. Hopefully, years on down the down the line, when America is in a better place, um, um, that you can look back to this moment and be like, that was one of the catapults that kind of uh, got it going. The L.A. Clippers also voted to cancel the season, remember? And while Pat Beverly and even superstar Kawhi Leonard avoid criticism because they do not carry LeBron's social weight, they are dealing with daily anxiety, that team that could crack their title hopes. You saw Paul George last week talk about uh, his depression inside the bubble. Uh, now you see uh, Marcus Morris being tossed from the game Sunday, taking a cheap shot again at Luka Doncic. I don't trust the Clippers. They're all out of whack here. In a bigger way, who knows if this bubble has six more weeks of staying power when we haven't even discussed the ongoing coronavirus threats heightened by this week's arrival of close family members and friends of the players and who knows who else at Disney World. And who knows if the league will honor its pledge to support the players. Uh, James is taking them at their word. Anthony Davis's teammate went so far to say we won't play again, quote-unquote, if the owners do not keep their word. Celtics forward Jalen Brown, one of the league's young social justice leaders who voiced ballroom feelings independent of the great LeBron, also has his doubts. And I, and I am not sure. I'm not as confident as I would like to be. I would say that. I think that promises are made year after year. We've heard, we've, heard, we've heard a lot of these terms and these words before. We heard them in 2014, reform, and we're still hearing them now. You know, a lot of these are just reshaping the same ideas and nothing is actually taking place. You know, long-term goals are, are one thing, but I think there's stuff in our wheelhouse as athletes and, and our resources and, and the people that we're connected to that short-term effect is possible as well. Everybody keeps saying that change is going to take this and change is going to keep that. And that's like the, the incrementalism idea that keeps stringing you along to make you feel like something's going to happen, something's going to happen, ain't nothing happening. 
people were dying in 2014 and it's 2020 and people are still dying the same way. And they keep saying reform, 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 and ain't nothing being reformed. So uh, I'm not as confident as I would like to be. I hear these words that are being said. There was no shortage of symbolism when Bucks guard George Hill, the first player to demand league support after the Blake shooting, explained why he was late in taking the court on Saturday. Quote, you want the honest truth? I take a bleep dump every time before the game, unquote, said Hill. A fitting parable for an NBA bleep storm, wouldn't you say? I know he is still LeBron James. He's still seeking his fourth title, still an elite player, still routinely capable of a 36-point triple-double, uh, which he used to oust Portland in the first round, and he's still a model family man who has avoided scandal despite living half his life in the searing public eye. But suddenly, for the first time in forever, it doesn't seem like he's the king anymore. Without the influence of John Thompson, a mountain of a man and a badass leader, there wouldn't have been a boycott of NBA games last week. If you agreed to play for Thompson at Georgetown, you were committed to maturing as a man first, getting a degree second, and becoming a better basketball player third or fourth or fifth, or maybe tenth. When he roared, and boy, did he roar, the world heard, such as when he walked off the court to protest Proposition 48, which would have banned academically ineligible freshmen from receiving scholarships. He will be remembered as a titan in the African-American community, the first black coach to win a major national championship in college sports, and the tributes will continue to pour in now that Thompson has passed away at age 78. Ask Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, all in their own ways built Thompson tough. Yet he let Allen Iverson be. And when Iverson went on to the NBA and became Allen Iverson practice, I'm sure John Thompson cringed at times, but he also allowed his kids to have freedom as they grew and became great NBA players. Oh, he could be gruff, especially with those of us in the media, and I was critical of him at times, such as in 1988 at the Olympics in South Korea when, for some reason, Thompson hid his team away in training. He, he was so secretive, obsessed with fighting the world. He approached it as a war, and his team finished with a, a bronze medal, and I think we all were critical of that charade. Nonetheless, to dwell on sideline coaching would miss the point today. John Thompson provided a foundation for young black men to take charge in the world, and I'm sure he was very proud to see the actions of last week in the NBA and throughout sports. But I do think as well that he would have told LeBron James, do not go home. Ready or not, and I'd say definitely not, Football is upon us, America. Does a sport fraught with COVID-19 super spreader risks and filled with social justice demonstrations have any chance in hell of completing NFL and college seasons when nonstop chaos seems more likely? Excuse me, but what happened to myocarditis? Wasn't this the reason not to play football this fall? A potentially fatal heart condition linked to COVID-19? Weren't the country's leading cardiac specialists imploring the NFL and collegiate overlords to consider the recent evidence that would be numerous athletes in their 20s and teens with heart muscle inflammation as yet another medical risk in the delirious rush to launch seasons in the year of Corona? Other than the Big Ten and Pac-12, nobody wanted to listen. So here we are. Virus be damned, only days from Chiefs Texans with 16,000 spectators in Kansas City. And here we are, already one game into the college scrums, if we're indeed counting Central Arkansas beating Austin P the other night. Football is such a runaway religion in America, I mean sickness, that normally smart people believe it's entirely reasonable to jeopardize 
the long-term wellness of players, coaches, support staffers, fans, and by extension, their families and other human beings in the grand spirit of squeezing in schedules through these evil droplets. They're treating doctors like tackling dummies and a positive virus test as just another game week hazard, like a concussion. Hey, you're a wuss if you can't handle a little head ding, and a bigger wuss if you can't deal with a fever, shortness of breath, chest pain, loss of taste and smell, vomiting, diarrhea, nausea, confusion, and weird hallucinations like Bill Plaschke had, the sports writer. Never mind the horrors we have lived since March. Never mind that a football game and in-your-face convergence of saliva and other bodily fluids for more than three hours and hundreds of games per season is the very definition of a super spreader. Never mind that more black people are dying of the coronavirus than white people and that 70% of NFL players are African-American. Never mind that COVID-19 will remain our predominant thought 24-7 until a legitimate vaccine is approved and distributed. Never mind the trigger effect of one infectious cluster on a football field, let alone several. And never mind that on the season's first possession, as Austin Pease, C.J. Evans Jr. raced for a 75-yard touchdown while two ESPN booth analysts shrieked as if the Guardian Credit Union FCS kickoff was the damn Rose Bowl, a referee was caught cursing into, yes, a live mic, another live mic reference. He said, as if warning us of what's ahead the next few months, quote, God damn mask, end quote, referee. Everybody heard it in the press box. You couldn't hear it on TV. Here was that ESPN call just to feed the masses who have missed such calls. And, and this included Mike Golick Jr. Listen up. C.J. Evans in the backfield. He's the true freshman. And right away, Oldsball is going to keep it. Pitch it to Evans. Evans, a nice block outside. And Evans has room. C.J. Evans makes a guy miss. And you wanted college football. First play. Touchdown, Governors. 75 yards. And Mike Golick Jr., how about that to kick off the 2020 season? Matt, it feels like we've been preparing for this game for a month leading up to this, and we could have prepared for every situation. What if I told you Austin P would kickstart your season with a little full house backfield speed option to the edge for a 70-plus yard touchdown? Is that something you might be interested in? You know what? If I was scripting this, I wouldn't have scripted it any better for that for Austin Peay. At this point, I'm kind of tired of lecturing. If football players don't realize how they're being exploited for money, then let them get sick and cope with the consequences, such as putting close relatives in hospital beds. Dozens of NFL players have wisely opted out. The LSU receiver Jamar Chase, rated in the top five on most draft boards, is the latest college star to opt out. They realize that football, unlike the successful protected environments of the NBA and NHL, is not played inside a bubble. And they also realize Major League Baseball, not bubbleized, has been forced to postpone 38 games, now 38, after a flurry of positive tests, despite mostly acceptable physical distancing on the field and rosters half the size of the NFL's. You know where I'm going with this. Add the Oakland Athletics to a perpetually growing list that might include all 30 big league teams before the playoffs, assuming MLB ever reaches that point. But football people are not paying attention to any of this. Don't you understand that their big boy sport is mightier than any old virus, especially if you're based in the South where the gridiron is treated like a Civil War battlefield? Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, wants to put as many fannies in the seats as possible for Cowboys games. Nick Saban wants, quote, to play for the players, unquote, at Alabama where more than a thousand cases of the virus have been recorded on campus since August 19, but Nick wants to play, even though every... <laughs> How the hell would you even exist on that campus? 
You, you, I mean, I, I'd have 10 masks on. I wouldn't be anywhere near Tuscaloosa. And Dabo Sweeney, quote, if we cancel football, the virus isn't going to go away, he said with typical ass-backwards logic. Quote, if you told me we wouldn't get the virus if we canceled football, I'd be the first person to sign up to cancel. Somewhere along the line, we have to recognize that we love the game. End quote. Dabo, even if it kills someone, right? Quote, you can't tell me that running onto a football field is supposed to be a zero-risk environment. End quote, said Duke infectious disease specialist Cameron Wolf, dropping that precious nugget to Sports Business Daily. Pick up the quote. Look at all of the regular sporting injuries that we accept as a certain level of risk as part and parcel of football. Now the reality is that we have to accept a little bit of COVID risk to be part of that. End quote. This guy's a doctor. Imagine describing the coronavirus as part and parcel, like a hip pointer. But then this guy, Wolf, is paid to advise the ACC, which starts play next week. Quote, is the virus going to be any better or different next year? No, probably not, said UAB Athletic Director Mark Ingram, whose program hosts the first FBS game this Thursday. Quote, are the numbers going to be remarkably different? No, probably not. Are we going to have a vaccine? No, probably not. End quote. Then hell, let's play football because we only live once, though we also only die once, right? Unlike college players, the pros are compensated handsomely for their assumed risks. But NFL minds have more to ponder at the moment than an infectious disease. The players did witness the game boycotts, like the rest of us, that started in the NBA and spread to the WNBA, MLB, Major League Soccer, tennis, and with typical social stalling, the NHL. Week one boycotts aren't expected for now, but... NFL players are much more leery of Commissioner Roger Goodell and the good old boy billionaire owners than NBA players are of their owners, and that didn't stop the Milwaukee Bucks and other teams from forcing game postponements and and demanding stronger league initiatives after the latest case of police brutality, the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. The NBA faces a shaky financial future, but NFL players know their league is filthy rich and could afford to pull the season plug if necessary. Even with scattered fans in the stands and a potential 40% loss in revenue, a $17 billion season, that's right, they're up a couple billion this year, somehow is being fortified by $3.2 billion in new debt thanks to an A-plus credit rating. A-plus. So it will be nothing short of fascinating to see how the NFL owners, specifically the almighty Jones, respond to players' demands related to social justice and racial inequality. They will want to do more than kneel on the sideline during the national anthem the movement launched four years ago by Kaepernick. They will want to stage demonstrations, put the names of brutality victims on their helmets and uniforms, and hear what is known as the Black National Anthem. It's titled, Lift Every Voice and Sing, and they will want that played alongside the Star Spangled Banner. Now, Goodell, even though the season's only a few days away, is yet to announce the league's official stance on sideline kneeling, perhaps because Jones still wants to negotiate, this is frightening, a compromise that will have all players standing during the anthem. The timing of that comment couldn't be worse, but then what would one expect from Jones but reckless divisiveness? Quote, everybody knows where I stand on the anthem. Everybody knows where the Cowboys stand. End quote, said Jones, who two years ago, remember, threatened to bench any player who knelt. Well, he'd better talk to his nose tackle. Dontari Poe says he plans to kneel. It's important when powerful management people in the league call out the owners, including Packers CEO Mark Murphy, whose team is based in the very state, Wisconsin, where a white police officer fired those seven shots at Blake's back from short range. Said Murphy, quote, of the owners, they are in powerful, privileged positions and can make a huge difference, and they obviously have close relations with everybody in their organizations. It's time to make changes, end quote. Seahawks coach Pete Carroll referenced his brethren, coaches, in a thoughtful rant. 
White people don't know. They don't know enough. And they need to be coached up. And they need to be educated about what the heck is going on in this world. Black people can't scream anymore. They can't march anymore. They can't bear their souls anymore to what they've lived with for hundreds of years because white guys came over from Europe and started a new country with a great idea and a great ideals and wrote down great writings and laws and all of that about democracy and freedom and equality for all. And then it ain't happened. It is, that's not what happened because we went down this, this other road here. We followed economics and which white guy's making money, and they put together a, a system of slavery. And we've never left it, really. It's never gone away. The really amazing thing that I've learned is black people know the truth. They know exactly what's going on. It's white people that don't know. It's not that they're not telling us. They've been telling us the stories. We know what's right and what's wrong. We just have not been open to listen to it. In the NBA, most superstars embrace social justice responsibility. But would Tom Brady and the embattled Drew Brees, criticized for his racial ignorance last spring, ever set out a game in protest? I doubt it. Quarterbacks are the NFL's power brokers. And while black stars such as Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson have used their voices, where is Brady? Said Jaguars receiver Chris Conley, quote, until the people in the NFL who are irreplaceable decide they're going to step back and hang it up for a week, two weeks, whatever it may be. Nah, I don't foresee that happening. I hate to say that. I wish I could stand up and say with confidence the people in this league would band together. End quote. Chris Conley referring, obviously, to Brady, maybe Aaron Rodgers, although Aaron has been speaking out. Goodell, as usual, is dawdling. If he can't find a reason to investigate an owner who should be swept away, Washington's Daniel Snyder, whose sexually warped work environment includes allegations that he ordered staffers to make a risque video featuring the team's cheerleaders. Yeah, that Dan Snyder, horny dog. Then we definitely should worry about what might happen on the sidelines in Kansas City next week. And in the stands where even a fraction of the usual 76,000 fan throng will include its share of COVID, it's neither socially distancing nor wearing masks. In the college game over this past weekend in Montgomery, Alabama, fans and players were supposed to obey protocols. Well, they didn't. Not that anybody was around to enforce the virus rules. NBC will introduce its new C360 camera at Arrowhead Stadium, featuring breathtaking bird's eye views and zoom capabilities for sidelines in the line of scrimmage. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth will be ready too, as will the viewers who never thought this moment would come on the second Thursday of September. I just don't think football is ready for what's about to pulverize it, a season of blindside hits that aren't preventable. Unless, of course, wiser heads prevail and the sport is shut down until next year. Sorry, I will stop making sense. They say audio reading is the new way to consume written prose. Therefore, here is my latest column from the Barrett Sports Media site titled, Why Black Athletes Don't Trust the Owners. We have two killer diseases in this country, one invisible and the other is blatant as seven gunshots fired toward a black man's back. If COVID-19 is insidious, police brutality is the naked terror. Imagine life as an African-American basketball player right now, locked down in a science globe by a league and two broadcast networks, watching the savagery in Wisconsin and figuring America is the same slave nation that oppressed their parents, grandparents, and ancestors. They are being paid, yes, They do not trust the man, so to speak. They wonder why Adam Silver, the commissioner who convinced them to resume this disjointed season, hasn't been in the NBA bubble and why the league's interest in amplifying social justice initiatives has waned during the playoffs. And they don't trust the owners, nearly all white men, even if sports has made many of these players wealthy and renowned. They want these billionaires to use their tentacles to influence politicians, regardless of party or persuasion, and stop the bloody massacre of black people by white cops. Now, that message was just beginning to resonate last week throughout a $200 billion industry, allowing sports to avoid a devastating domino effect stoppage, if only until the next shooting. But they're to muck it up, as usual. 
were the socially ignorant klutzes of Major League Baseball, creating even more distrust a day after the NBA season was nearly shuttered by LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, and other players feeling helpless and fighting racial inequality from their Disney World confinement. The MLB lords have been stuck in self-sabotage for decades, undermining their sport with endless scandals, a sluggish on-field product, and an existential disconnect with young people. Their failures are as commonplace as another 450-foot pummeling of a juiced ball. Still, it's beyond comprehension that this old fart operation, long mired in a racial crisis with its scarcity of black players and executives, not only would delay a unified response to the shooting of Blake, but also turn a New York ceremony into a finger-pointing farce. Jackie Robinson shattered racial barriers in Brooklyn a few miles from what is now City Field. He would have been ashamed to see the dysfunction in the hours preceding what should have been a simple edict, postponing the Mets-Miami Marlins game, following the lead of all the other major league games on that day's schedule. I don't trust the entirety of MLB leadership, so I'm not sure who's telling the truth here and who might be in cover-up or throw under the bus mode, but knowing the raw ineptitude of Commissioner Rob Manfred, I am not ready to assume that Mets general manager Brody Van Wagenen was mistaken when he accused Manfred of asking Mets and Marlins players to do the unthinkable, walk off the field as a tribute to to Blake, and then return an hour later to play a ball game? Who came up with this? The idea did come from somebody's convoluted mind. Would Manfred be so crass to prioritize his scheduling issues and ongoing quagmire in baseball's nightmarish pandemic season over the Black Lives Matter movement? Now, that would be a fireable offense for the commissioner, another death knell for the sport. Yet that is exactly what Van Wagenen was suggesting in the latest leak video to burn a sports figure. Talking with two Mets colleagues in late afternoon as the fate of that game was being decided, Brody ripped Manfred as a leader who, quote, doesn't get it, end quote, while failing to understand that Mets players had zero interest in playing. What the loose-lipped GM did not know is what everybody should know in the 21st century. His conversation, which referenced an earlier meeting with Mets Chief Operating Officer Jeff Wilpon, was being streamed on MLB.com. <laughs> Whoa. They're just chatting away in the office. Why was this being streamed on MLB.com? Is that not a metaphor for Manfred, MLB, the Mets, Van Wagen, everybody. The Wilpons. Minutes later, of course, the video was posted on the team site where it was discovered by a 20-year-old New York journalism major who naturally shipped the clip into the breaking news viral sphere. <laughs> Can you believe this happened? Here was Van Wagenen. Crank this up. You will want to hear it. He's almost kind of whispering but uh, that's why we have a volume meter. Baseball. Mulling head over. Baseball's trying to come up with a solution. He's saying, no, you know, it'd be super powerful. Three of, three of us here can't leave this room. They're saying, you know, it would be really great if you just have them all take the field. And they leave the field. And then they come back and play at 810. And I was like, what? Who's there? Rob. Jeff's scheduling is going to be a nightmare. There's so much at stake. And I said, Jeff, that's not happening. They're not dealing with reality. They're not playing, but that's Rob's instinct. And Rob, not exactly what you are, but at leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And that's so... He's right. Manfred does not get it, period, about anything. But that isn't the point here. Three white men named Brody, Rob, and Jeff, Wilpon, were making America look stupid again. Had they already forgotten the powerful words of the previous night from Mets outfielder Dominic Smith? Weeping and choking up during an interview, Smith carved himself a place in history by saying this of the Blake shooting and racism. 
in America. Quote, the most difficult part is to see the people still don't care. For this to continually happen, it just shows the hate in people's hearts. That just sucks. You know, being a black man in America is not easy. End quote, Dominic Smith. All you need to know about the Mets is that the goofballish Alex Rodriguez, part of a group that had been angling to buy the team, I don't think they're going to get it, would be a marked boardroom improvement over Fred Wilpon and his son, Jeff. So, of course, the Mets botched the Smith moment. What followed was pure tragicomedy. Van Wagenen, an ill-advised hire with no management experience, after a career as a sports agent out here in L.A. with CAA, released a statement saying he had the story wrong, that it was Jeff Wilpon's idea. The most overt case of ratting out a boss in recent sports memory. And then later, Brody, I think they, did they misspell his name? I think Jeff Wilpon did twice in the statement they made. <laughs> Van Wagenen later uh, takes to a conference call to apologize yet again, if you didn't hear it the first time. Hot mic or not hot mic, uh, you know, I, I made comments that damaged damaged the reputation of the commissioner, that, dam- that hurt the, the New York Mets organization. You know, this conversation is about the players making a statement. This, this conversation is about recognizing the pain and the anguish that that black people are experiencing every day in this country. And the fact that I've put myself and this organization into the conversation um, that in a way that takes away from the real point, you know, I'm disappointed in myself and, and that's not a characterization of anything that's happened you know, past, previous or, or in the future. This is about here and now and I expect, accept responsibility for that. I don't know though, is it possible Brody was dutifully covering Manfred's ass with Wilpon's approval because Wilpon was going bye-bye anyway here so the commissioner could avoid epic humiliation and nationwide calls to replace him with whatever fool wants that commissioner's gig? If Wilpon did indeed hatch this plan as he claimed, just be happy the Mets are on the sales block assuming anybody really wants them. Uh, but yep, Wilpon released a statement to clear up any misunderstandings. It was my suggestion to potentially look into playing the game later because of scheduling issues. Brody's misunderstanding of a private conversation was and is inexcusable, unquote, Jeff Wilpon. At least NBA players have an ally in silver, though a message was sent through ESPN reporter Mark Spears that the commissioner needed to, quote, get a helicopter, unquote, and invest more bubble time with the players but it could be worse the nba could have manfred as a leader that such a debacle could happen in such a sensitive time in history is another indictment of a man who shouldn't have his job manfred can't even control the buffoonery of a team across the east river from his midtown manhattan office much less guide baseball through an absurdist pandemic season interrupted by constant virus outbreaks and game shutdowns manfred too issued a statement quote over the past two days players on a number of clubs have decided not to play games i have said both publicly and privately that I respect the decisions and support the need to address social injustice. I have not attempted in any way to prevent players from expressing themselves by not playing, nor have I suggested any alternative form of protest to any club personnel or any player. Any suggestion to the contrary is wrong, end quote. Do you see a denial in there anywhere about Manfred asking the Mets and Marlins to play an hour after a symbolic walkout? Me neither. Only the NHL, which finally postponed games after criticism for not doing so the previous night, has had a weaker response to Jacob Blake than MLB. The Mets and Marlins did share a tender moment, standing for a moment of silence and placing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on home plate before leaving the park without a ball game. Smith led the Mets onto the field, his tears having inspired the sports world. Now, that moment of silence that lasted 42 seconds, of course, it came on the eve of Jackie Robinson Day when every major leaguer wears number 42, even if a pandemic shifted the date from its usual April the 15th. The players and their tribute, it seemed, had saved the commissioner and Mets management from themselves, but the reprieve was only temporary, as always said Miami's Lewis Brinson of the Robinson Tribute, quote, it needs to be an ongoing thing. It can't be just one day out of the baseball year that we bring light to everything, end quote. 
said Milwaukee's Lorenzo Cain, who opted out of the season wisely, quote, I think Robinson would be amazed at the lack of progress in his eyes. The fact we're talking about this in 2020, I don't see the progress in that. It's almost like we're going backwards, end quote. If this is a time machine, it might take us to the point of no return. Now it's time for the buzz, our regular deep dive into sports and life. Chris joins the program. Chris, the NBA boycotts games and quickly returns to play along with other sports leagues. Yet LeBron James looks like a child by storming out of the meeting and voting to stop the season. How much of an image hit is he taking among his peers and in the public eye? Well, Jay, it looks like LeBron's going back to what we used to call him. Remember a few years ago when we called him, or I did at least, the B word. In today's climate, I don't want to actually use the word. But, yeah, what are you doing, LeBron? I, I don't understand. Here's the thing. I, don't, I didn't understand why we were stopping games. The, this thought that somehow that was going to change anything. No, because it just brought more negativity. I, I, I get being stuck in a bubble. I get feeling that you can't, you're helpless. But even if you weren't in a bubble, what were, in, what were the Milwaukee Bucks going to do? Other than cr- send out a message... Have a few players step up. Now, maybe donate some money. Maybe have an event, a community event, pre-COVID. I'm talking about pre-COVID times. Where you can bring people together. You can try to educate people. What was going to change exactly by storming out? And this goes back to the Bucks that apparently had their own plan, which was we're just going to boycott this game, and then everyone followed suit. And then the rest of the leagues did, because if you didn't, you were going to be thought of as insensitive, potentially racist, tone deaf, all the big buzzwords in a cancel culture that goes on. Then LeBron obviously walks out of that meeting, talks to his buddy, I'm just guessing, uh, Sham over at the, at, the, at the stadium, and then it's, oh, LeBron and Kawhi have walked out of the meeting. The season is in doom and gloom. Again, getting all this attention on LeBron. Then LeBron comes back to the table. The, re- the report's on Thursday morning. They stayed up all night talking. We all knew, again, what I said to friends and peers and people I work with on Wednesday night was if LeBron does this, it's over. Not just the season. LeBron's over. That will be the asterisk on LeBron James. We just watched, and you talked about Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who I love. We just watched the dance earlier in this COVID year. LeBron, your thing is going to be you quit. You didn't actually accomplish anything. You just quit. And that will destroy this season, the next season because of the collective bargaining agreement, and really the sport. Because ratings are already bad. I think the social justice messages, and again, I was never one to go down this road when it was the NFL, but it's a lot more now. And it doesn't mean that you're a racist if you don't want to get hit over the head with it every time you turn on a game. So I just think that LeBron made some big mistakes here. And now you have Kushner and Trump reaching out to him. And my thing is, I understand you don't like them. I understand what you think of them. But at some point, you could actually talk to him. And he may be the next president or continue being the president for four more years. Wouldn't that make you elevated, LeBron, that you go to, well, I guess you wouldn't go to Washington, but you get on a Zoom call with Jared Kushner and you talk about changing something? And you show a shining example of what America should be. Two people that disagree with each other coming together to work for a better America. But LeBron won't do that. He's just going to make little jokes about the bubble. And Chris, ready or not, and it definitely is not, football is upon us. You know my feelings about the line of scrimmage being a Petri dish for the virus. You also know my feelings about some NFL owners, especially Jared Jones, not being amenable to the players' demands concerning social justice initiatives. Where is the season headed in the NFL and on the college level? God help us all. You know, Jay, were you waiting for the COVID monster after that uh, after that touchdown to begin the college football season that the COVID monster was going to snatch that player and give him COVID? I joke, of course, but I really don't. Because at this point, we now see marches again. We see protesting again. We see rioting again. And most likely, we are going to see a surge based on that again. And people will try to blame it on everything else because, God forbid, we actually talk about reality. Enough. People are playing football. It's going to happen. People are going to test positive. But again, baseball has shown that if you just are safe, 
You can travel. You can do normal activities. You don't have to lock yourself in a house in fear now that we go on month six. And again, I keep coming back to this. Walmart's open. Target's open. Grocery stores are open. People are protesting in the streets. Football players are getting the best health care there is. Watch an episode of Hard Knocks. They're getting tested. They're getting swabbed. There's masks everywhere. Okay. College kids. Now, granted, they're not getting paid. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But still, because of how valuable they are, because of how valuable these games are, do you think it's safer for a college kid on the Alabama football team to be at Alabama, traveling with the team, being taken care of, being tested, than at home, let's say, with his buddies at COVID parties? Just tossing it out there, Jay. I think the NFL football season will be just fine. There will be tests. And if there's canceled games or moved games, then we'll deal with it as we go. But as baseball is showing us, they're not getting COVID by simply getting on an airplane or walking onto a baseball field or coming in contact with somebody else. They're getting it by being morons. So stop being a moron and you'll get your millions of dollars and football will continue. And Chris, ever see anything as wacky as the Brody Van Wagenen story? Why won't sports people realize that an open mic and video camera always are lurking close by? Well, Jay, I think I said this uh, before, the last open mic gaffe we talked about. Listen, there's been plenty of conversations that I wouldn't want recorded. I wouldn't want somebody who was an intern trying to get ahead or somebody who didn't like me just being able to blast something out. It's just now more out there that don't be an idiot and I guess don't have these conversations. Have them in the privacy of your own home. I mean, it doesn't even seem like your own office can work uh, because they could be bugging you in there. So I I don't know. I, I just I find stuff like this a little icky. Tom Brenneman using a homophobic slur on the air when he's in broadcast mode. He has a headset on. Uh, yeah, that that's a little different than somebody being recorded in a very obvious private conversation so this one feels icky this one feels forced are the Mets dumb they've been dumb for gosh I think maybe they also came to a, a, I don't know 25 years I mean they were in the 88 NLCS against my Dodgers so after that they just seem to be dumb that part of the story is not surprising but this one felt a little icky Jay very good. Thank you, Chris. And now a final Mariotti commentary too hot for ESPN, too smart for the internet, and too chill for political activism. Take it away, Jay. It's nice to see anybody flee Bristol, Connecticut, and return home, in this case, Washington, D.C., for a sports center hosting gig. However, with so much racial tension and sensitivity in the American air, Why does anchor Scott Van Pelt continue to describe himself as a, quote, professional gentleman of leisure, Mr. White Folks, unquote, on his Twitter feed? I figure he's trying to be cute, but if this is an overgrown frat boy takeoff on a lone white pimp in a controversial 1998 film, with the characters in Pimps Up, Hose Down, described by Associated Press writer Aaliyah D. Wright as having, quote, leaped straight from a 1970s exploitation movie and a bad one at that, unquote. Well, obviously, Scott, nothing is remotely cute about that reference in the current climate or any climate. So just take it down, clown. You work for Disney, not a porn channel. That's our show. Thanks to Mac Miller, no longer with us for his musical contribution in the show open. For our producer and editor, Chris, I am Jay, reminding you to never, ever let anybody mute you in life. See?